Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the entertainment culture sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media from film and television, music, literature, sports, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleiman, and this is my co-host, George Peyton Hillis Gordon III. Take it away, George. Thank you, Dave. Dave, I'm, I'm a smidge hungover, but I'm super excited about what we got going on today. We're going to be talking to award-winning director, producer, editor, Emily Branham. We're going to be talking about documentaries and Prince songs, two things that I have huge loves for. So, But before we get into all that, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I also love both of these topics and had a lot of fun doing this. Mm-hmm. I bought concert tickets the other day for a concert that doesn't happen until 2022. <laughs> I don't think I've ever bought concert tickets for like a nine months ahead show and i'm sure i'll forget about it but uh i saw that krungbin is playing at radio city they sure are yeah so those tickets come up on the on the old uh, phone and i was like pre-sale oh shit i don't know why i what possessed me but i was like i mean other than the fact that it would be a dope show but uh yeah so i so uh krungbin 2022 i'm looking forward to it <laughs> in nine months if we're still here, fingers crossed. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. But anyway, George, what's going on with you? How are you doing, man? I'm good. As I mentioned up top, I'm a touch hungover, but that's whatever. I left New York for the first time in a year and a half this past weekend. I went to a wedding in Chautauqua, New York. So shout out to Dan Wilbur and Anya Garrett for uh, getting married and showing a bunch of friends a good time. Chautauqua, I, I didn't know anything about it. It's an interesting place for sure. It's got some Chappaquiddick vibes. <laughs> it's this very, very like artsy community in Western New York, outside of Jamestown, and uh, I feel like somebody was murdered there. So, <laughs> <laughs> like part part of that sounded really nice, but then like of like a city Jew, like Chappaquiddick, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. That sounds like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> there was I. We went to this restaurant like uh, maybe that Friday or Saturday. And uh, we're talking to some locals and we're telling them that we're, we're, we're staying and we're, while we're in town. And I was like, oh, you know, that place is haunted, right? And I was like, haunted too, whatever. But then she said, be aware of the, the blood sacrifice that happens there. And I was like, blood sacrifice? <laughs> and just to say, that was, those are the words I was like, watch out for the blood sacrifice that happens <laughs> on this yeah. island. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm out. I'm out. I'm Rosemary's baby, the town. Yeah, cool place <laughs> though. So shout out to my friends Dan and Anya. <laughs> yeah, just don't get murdered. Don't get blood sacrificed. Yeah, I know, right? Blood sacrifice. <laughs> anyway, so let's go ahead and open this bar. Today on tap, we're going to be talking about the Lynn Bias podcast and the Anthony Bourdain documentary that, that we both saw a trailer for. So let's start with that. You sent that to me, the Anthony Bourdain documentary, and that's premiering uh, at Tribeca. So uh, what'd you think of the uh, trailer? Because I've watched it a couple of times. Yeah, me too. Definitely got me, you know, Bourdain being kind of a, especially to him taking his own life. It's a very tragic story. And I, being a fan of him, I, I felt that. But the doc looks really great because, you know, celebrating the things that we loved about him and just kind of like going into to like his life and choices. Like I saw like a bit where he's talking about the choices that he made mm-hmm. at the beginning when he was starting to get all these opportunities to have the wherewithal of like, I know what, like to say no to money. Like he said no to millions of dollars because he didn't want to do like those specific opportunities, which is, is, is kind of crazy, you know? Um, and also it's called Roadrunner and they feature that modern lover song Roadrunner. And that's fucking awesome. So anytime you can put those things together, I'm on board. What did you think about it? It's something that I can't wait to see. I, uh, I read the book kitchen confidential, I guess probably like 15 years ago. And, uh, I like you as well. In fact, I think 
has been seen on this podcast of me wearing a Modern Lovers t-shirt. Uh, Roadrunner is definitely one of my favorite songs, along with uh, I'm Straight and Pablo Picasso. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I feel like they're he's a guy that did, will never be replaced. I mean, like as far as like travel show that he did, like uh, it's, uh, I forget the name of it, but that was, it was one of a kind. No reservations or no reservations. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So and as much as like, uh, as much as I love uh, Padma shout out and I love uh, David Chang's that showed that they won't ever replace Anthony Bourdain. So no, well, and you know, like he was saying in that clip that I was referencing, he was like, he didn't give Food Network the show that they wanted mm-hmm. because like he wasn't right for what they were doing. Like he wasn't going to change who he was. You know, it's something in the food industry that like I, I've seen people get opportunities to be on television and stuff. And they kind of like mold themselves to what the producers and stuff are like telling them to do, which which I, you understand. I'm not judging people for that. Like I understand like wanting to take opportunities, but to hear Bourdain being like, these weren't the right opportunities for me. And I know that. It's inspiring. It's cool. Okay. So next on tap, we're going to talk about the podcast from the ringer. Uh, I believe it's part of the, like what basketball book of basketball book, book of basketball overall pod. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, the Len bias story about uh, another tragic figure. Jordan, I know it. You've been really, really into it so far. Way into it. Uh, as I mentioned, like before recording, I'm from near where Lynn Bias is from. He's from PG County. I'm from Virginia, from the other end of the state. But like my my mom and sister are actually odd enough live in PG County. And for our listeners who don't know, Lynn Bias was a uh, basketball player for the University of Maryland. And back in those days, in the 80s and 90s, and up until like maybe the early 2000s, basketball players stayed in college for three to four years. So they became a part of like their story. You like you knew about them. And he was drafted number two overall in the 1986 draft by the Boston Celtics, and he tragically died from a cocaine overdose the night after being drafted. And this is a story about him and this, the years that, that followed and the things that happened as far as like his connection to the war on drugs and the high rates of, uh, of uh, people of color being incarcerated. Um, uh, there was a whole like, um, oh, shoot, that Nancy Reagan, what was that? Uh, PSA campaign. Yeah, PSA. That, but what, what did she say in it? Like say no to drugs yeah there's like uh just say just no say no the just say no campaign came in the aftermath of the the death of Limbias. so 30 something years later it is still relevant to the story that were that, that they were telling in 86 so so gross because like they could created those conditions and then the consequences happened and they're like don't do that right all right like, yeah disgusting yeah all of that's all connected yeah totally um yeah it's I only listened to the first one, so I haven't gotten quite into that stuff yet, I think. But uh I think it's, that's gonna be further down the road. Um okay. uh, there was a a great 30 for 30 about about Lynn Bias, I think in 2009. It's uh without bias is the name of the the, the documentary. And they, they kind of get into that the and then the fallout from what happened to the rest of his family. So and I think they're gonna get in that podcast too. But like the the guests have been great um will bond michael will bond from uh, espn who worked for the washington post who covered the university of maryland is on it and uh scott van pelt who went to the university of maryland who was there at the same time as in it and all the people the beat writers and let the who's still alive the coach of the basketball team is on it as well so like i've was like walking around yesterday going oh my gosh this this, this podcast story is incredible and listening to his mom like kind of talk about him and and uh, introduce it was really powerful. I'm excited to to listen to the rest of it. Cool. Well, I think uh, that's good for bar talk. 
what do you say, George? We're all tapped out. We're all tapped out. Let's go talk to Emily. All right. Here's that. Hello. What's going on? Oh my gosh, it's George Gordon. <laughs> I haven't seen you in so long. It's been a long time. It's been I know. a long time. We used to work together and then we used to run into each other on the F train and then I moved yep. out of Brooklyn. You live in the city now, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like way uptown now. That's the same reaction I have to George every time I see him and I see him like once a week. <laughs> George Gordon. Oh my gosh. Your good friend. <laughs> so we worked together like how many years ago was that let's see uh about 11 okay yeah i can measure every time everything in terms of bb years so i can remember that like uh bb had just won drag race and i was working at edgeworks and so were you and mm-hmm. yeah yeah but i was like a year out from it and had like some other film festival things happening with a short that i did so yeah 2010, 2010. that sounds about right yeah. Well, I mean, let me introduce you around. This is uh, Dave. Hi. Hi, Dave. And this is our producer, Mary Beth. Hi, Mary Beth. Hi. So lovely <laughs> to meet you. I love your glasses. What? Twins. <laughs> but yes, I actually noticed it in some of the clips from the film. I think you were wearing these glasses and I was like, oh, my God, we clearly have the same style. Um, love it. All right. Warby Parker. Yes. Can't resist. Yeah, my editor's girlfriend also had these glasses. And um, yeah, they're just good ones. She's replaced hers, but I haven't replaced Well, it's mine, lovely. So. so lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a nice invitation and so lovely to hear from George. Yeah, we like him okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Emily, let's let's go and get into it. Uh, thank you for, for letting us see your film before it gets screened at uh, Tribeca. And all of us uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. I feel like uh, let's go ahead and start there because like this is a process that's been a long time. So why don't we why don't we just walk you through uh, yeah. our listeners at the beginning, in the middle, and now where you at right now? And even from like meeting Marshall and and BB because it's clear from the film that you guys do have a long relationship and have, have known each other for quite a while. It's true. Yeah. Well, we we first met in two thousand six when my sister was dancing backup for BB, um, and I was living in New York working on commercials. And- you know, kind of like not really feeling super fulfilled. And my sister was telling me about this amazing drag performer that she had met through like an ad that was posted at her ballet school looking for backup dancers. And so she was on her way to this like drag pageant. And it was this promising amateur drag performer who was originally from Cameroon. And I was like, this sounds kind of like an amazing short film. And so went back to Minneapolis where I grew up and where she was and where BB was and just thought I would make a short film about the process of going to Dallas for BB's first national drag pageant, which was like a very big deal in the drag world um, in terms of like a place where you can move up and be more and more visible than you would in your local drag club. Um, so yeah, so I thought I was making a short film about this one pageant and that it would be done in a couple of months. Um, but, you know, I met BB and there was just more there, there with his story. Like he did well at the pageant. It was a really strong performance for, for a newcomer, but um, yeah, it, it just felt like there was more to be mined. And but I didn't know what shape it was gonna take and, and it evolved over years. And, and then when BB got cast on Drag Race three years after that, and one, it was like, oh, okay, well, I think there might be a feature here. I think this is more than, than a short. And so, 
And you do a really good job in the film. It's clear, like, I know George is, and we can get into this, but I know you guys uh, know each other from from working at a post-production house. Um, and it's clear to me that you kind of have that background because the film is put together really well. Oh, thanks. And I think it's interesting, like, you go back and forth in time a lot. Um, and I'm curious to know, because it was such a long process, like, how that came together and like were there any moments where you were like this is becoming too big like it's where do i how do i form this into a thing definitely yeah it was definitely like there were these moments of like you know is this a series is this a web series or is it like a multiple episode thing and we ultimately just came back to the idea that it really should be a feature that, that just felt like the right size for it but um yeah it's taken so many different forms and had so many different sort of like I mean, like all the themes I think have always been pretty, pretty consistent, but it was really great to see it all come together in the past year in a new way. Like we had, we've, we've tried to finish it a few times, like in major earnest ways, like right after he won Drag Race, I pushed real hard. I was like, let's get an assembly edit together of this feature. That's my ending, winning, you know, this competition. How amazing. And I worked with this lovely editor, Ali. Um, that was right around when we were working at Edgeworks. And, um, and I had this like intern brigade and they were helping me write transcripts of all the interviews. And like, we were really making a big push. And we put together this assembly and it was just clear to me, like it wasn't rich enough yet. Like BB's story, we weren't doing justice to who BB was, where he came from in Cameroon. Like, I just hadn't seen enough play out on screen in scenes to justify that 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 duration. Like it just wasn't there yet. And so I was really bummed. I was like, you know, I, I thought, wow, I spent three years on this thing. Like that's so long and I, I don't have anything to show for it. And, um, but anyway, so that was one attempt that we made to finish it. And then again, in like 2015, 2016, I really thought I had a lot in the can um, because BB had like, you know, a lot had happened in New York and in the New York phase of his career um, without any spoilers. Uh, I won't say more than that, but uh, like that part had just wrapped up and I was like, okay, I got a movie now. A lot has happened. A lot has played out. And so we did a Kickstarter campaign a few years after that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just taken a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Because it like wasn't rich enough yet, you know, it was just like, I don't know. It's like we kept being closer and closer and closer, but not there. And I don't know, this past January, it was just like, oh, this is it. I have enough now. It's just really clear. Like the things that played out in 2020 just tied everything we had together in such a more satisfying, uplifting, well-rounded way. Um, but yeah, it just turned something that was like kind of lost into something that was much more coherent and made sense. One of my favorite things about the film, in essence, is like it goes to the fact that it, you guys worked on this for as many years as you have, is you guys' connection to each other. There's a moment in the film in which uh, BB calls you M, and that's something that you would say to somebody that you're friends with. So why don't you guys, why don't you go a little bit about you guys' relationship and your relationship to the state of Minnesota in Minneapolis? Yeah, it's true. I mean, BB is my friend, like first and foremost, mm -hmm. and that's a big part of why I care about doing his story justice and telling it with integrity and with his involvement in authorship in a way, you know, like he had sort of like boundaries about where he wanted to go and wasn't comfortable going. And, you know, I sort of like poke at those boundaries in ways that might be evident to somebody uh, watching the film. And I think like where he has resistance is actually really telling and part of his story and part of where he comes from. And it's like where people are comfortable is as interesting as where they're not, I think. Um, but like, yeah, he's my friend and I care a lot about him and his well-being and his family's well-being and uh, 
So yeah, those are things that were really important to me. And yeah, I grew up in Minneapolis where we started filming together and that's where BB and his family, uh, his siblings um, immigrated to from Cameroon when they were sort of of college age. Um, Minneapolis, Minnesota sort of known for having a, a welcoming attitude towards people from all over the world. It's a very liberal place um, or, you know, historically it has been, it's been a weird number of years, um, but uh, in a really hard, of course, past year in Minneapolis. Um, but yeah, it's, it's my hometown. I love it there. Um, I feel very torn between New York and there most of the time. My family's all still there. Um, and yeah, and baby's also very close to his family. And so I feel like we had that in common, like our, our closest with our families and also feeling torn from parents and ways, that, but still maintaining that closeness. And I don't know, I just feel like we had stuff in common and I identified with him and his ambition and persistence and attention to quality and caring about doing things well, but also caring about relationships and, and loyalty and, um, yeah, so you touched on this a little bit in that answer, but how did the events of the last year, specifically in Minneapolis um, with the murder of George Floyd and, and the uprisings that followed influence the, the finishing of being BB, the film, like, because as you said, you incorporate that. And I think it makes a lot of, I mean, it makes a lot of sense in the overall story, but was that something that you were just like, Oh, well, this is, this has to, this is the, this is part of the film now. Yeah. I mean, it was something that we grappled with a lot. Me and my team, it was like, you know, we didn't want to be, um, I don't know. So we've been focused, so focused on BB's story, the arc of BB's story. And, and we hadn't like race is inherently a part of his story. It's inherently a part of, of who he is, you know, as well as his immigrant status and identity, you know, but we hadn't sort of confronted it head on in the story and how that unfolded. And we decided that we just couldn't not like it just, it was so part of it, but we, we knew we wanted to handle it really delicately um, and thoughtfully and, and lightly, you know, and, and the truth is that BB's really kind of only comfortable talking about race and how he's been affected by racial injustice in terms of his career, and you know, like how he's been affected uh, professionally. Um, he feels that he has some privileges and, and he should speak to this more than I should, but, it, you know, as an African immigrant, as opposed to an American uh, black person. And um, he, I don't know, he and also being, being a person who doesn't always conform to gender norms, he doesn't always fall victim to the same kinds of injustices that some of his peers and family members do. And, you know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of there, there, um, that, that I, I tried to learn as much about as possible and be as sensitive to as possible. Um, but yeah, like we had, we couldn't not include it basically. Um, yeah, and it also become a really big part of what Baby was embracing in his art as well with the Nubia show that he was putting out in 2020 before the George Floyd murder even happened. Um, so, like, that was another thing, like, it, that happened in 2020 that made it so clear that this was the time for the film to wrap up. Was, he was doing some of the best work of his life that was doing the most good in the world. And, um, and then, you know, everything went to a standstill, but... Uh, but it was still a positive, uplifting place to end the film. Well, and I think the way you guys dealt with this is very thoughtful. And like you were saying, you can tell there's a lot of care for, for you as a filmmaker into BB's story and into talking to him. And and yes, you you got some moments where you could tell that he didn't really want to talk about things, but, but did because you guys have a trusting relationship. Um, 
But George and I both were struck by some of the scenes where um, he is watching himself on film and you guys talk about it. And can you talk about like where those came from and how you kind of were like, I'm going to put this on film because I think it'll be compelling. Um, Yeah. So I think, well, so we had an edit of the film that we, we really liked maybe in 2019 that we were thinking we could possibly try to premiere in 2020. Um, so before Nubia, before that main interview in 2020, before George Floyd, before Dragnificent, his TV show had even come out and it was a compelling film, but it was like, there was, there were a few central things that weren't completely gelling. Um, one of them was the connection to Cameroon and sort of like why I filmed there and, and what, uh, what BB's connection was to there. Um, uh, what was the other one? Making it feel very modern uh, because the heart of, of the core story that I had filmed before last year was like a lot of it had kind of ended 2015, 2016. And so we wanted it to feel more current. Um, and there was a third thing that I can't remember right now that was just like, ah, this is the thing we need to solve. And so we brought in this consulting editor, Doug Blush, um, who is, you know, just a wonderful editor. He worked on 20 feet from stardom and um, a lot of projects that I've really respected. And he's just got a wonderful energy and enthusiasm. And, and my producer Mark had worked with him on something recently. It was like, maybe Doug could help us sort of like crack this thing. And so we had a consult and, uh, and he was really great at sort of celebrating all the things that were really working in our film and helping us identify what could be better. And from that, uh, we came up with this idea of doing the modern day 2020 interview and having BB watch back these clips over time. And I loved it too. <laughs> that, that, all that stuff is, is, is great. Tell us about this, this last year, because like um, one of the things that whenever we have guests, we, we always ask them about what's this last year been for you. And we're going to ask you that as well. It's like, what's, what has this last year been like for you? And uh, I guess since working on your film. Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a there's been this weird pandemic, <laughs> weirdest thing, and um, so they say it sucks. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like every a lot of things changed for me. I moved out of Brooklyn, moved uptown, gave up my studio space where I used to work, and now I'm working in my bedroom. Clearly, as I have been in the movie, um, and yeah, we've just been indoor cats, sort of like you know tinkering away. And I guess the first half of the pandemic, I, I was doing post production work, uh, producing commercials visual effects and, and things to pay my bills. And, and we're sort of like, kind of like not sure what to do with the film, honestly, because with like festivals being up in the air and distribution plans being completely disrupted, it was like, what do we even do? Like, what should we, where should we point ourselves? So I think until June, we were just all working on different things, but in June, we came together with this consulting editor and had a wonderful meeting and, um, decided to embark on these final shoots and lined up like, you know, a, a lovely uh, cinematographer who was based in Minneapolis, who again, my producer had worked with before, um, his name's Jeremy Wilker. And so we did like this remote COVID safe shoot where I was here in New York, Jeremy was on the ground in Minneapolis with BB. Um, and, you know, we, we finished it up by Zoom. And then I just spent the rest of the fall kind of holed up in my bedroom, <laughs> yeah, editing. Um, and I got it as far as I could on my own until like December. And then I was able to bring back my editor for a few weeks, um, which filed into maybe 10 weeks um, to completely wrap it all up and, and polish up this sort of like extended new version of the film that I had put together in the fall. Um, so yeah, so it's been a lot of, a, a lot of headway was made um, creatively and, and, yeah, just production-wise from from the stasis of lockdown. So, you know, 
Yeah, well, one of the few jobs, well, one of the jobs where you actually just need to be locked in a room by yourself to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Although, yeah, I did love having a studio space where there were other human beings around to interact with and, you know, like, but I can, I'm flexible. I can do whatever. <laughs> and now you're at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival. So tell us how we're able to see the film and like the film festival itself. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to have our world premiere at Tribeca Festival. And um, so it's going to be available to watch all over the U.S., which is actually a really nice thing about being available virtually is anyone in the U.S. can watch it for five days from June 19th to June 23rd. Um, yeah, so can't wait. Get your tickets. We're trying to sell out. We only have 2,500 seats, so we're trying to sell out Tribeca. Um, yeah. Is Tribeca hopefully like a jumping off point for distribution or have you guys already kind of had talks about that or? Yeah, we would love to figure out where our home is going to be for, for U.S. distribution. We, um, we're very fortunate to have uh, OutTV in Canada come in as partners after our Kickstarter campaign. They saw the Kickstarter campaign, and before we even had a rough cut, they just identified wow. that BB Story would be something that their audience would care about. They're the distributor of Drag Race in Canada. Um, so they helped us out with some finishing funds, and they'll be our partner um, for Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India and South Africa, but the rest of the world, we're still trying to figure out, um, including the U S awesome. so. Well, yeah. good luck. I think, you know, it's very compelling. And I think, I mean, at least if, if I had money, I would buy it and distribute it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'd love for lots of people to see it. That'd be so cool. There's one thing that's mentioned on your bio before we get into the game is like, you were a child actor. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like a crazy successful one or anything, but within the Minneapolis theater world, I got to do a bunch of plays at this really great theater company called Children's Theater Company. I, I got to be Beth and Little Women and Becky Thatcher and Tom Sawyer. And, you know, it was like an equity theater thing. And so that was sort of my outlet. Other people did sports and I did that. And, you know, did some commercials and some voiceovers for things and really just enjoyed acting. Um as a child, it was really, really fun for me. And that's something you grew out of and decided you wanted to be behind the camera? Yeah, exactly. Like I, I went to college thinking I wanted to, to continue being an actor and I was a theater major my first year. And then I got there and I was like, oh, maybe I'm not. Cause I didn't actually really like auditioning. And I realized that like so much of the job of acting is auditioning and that you just have so little control over, you know, where, who's, who chooses you. And I guess I just, I, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to excel enough in the ways you have to excel to be really successful at that. And, and I'm really, I like working. I like making things. I like, you know, so I just realized that like filmmaking could combine all these things I'm interested in from writing to, you know, drama and comedy and, you know, light music and dance and all that into like one art form. And so I switched after that freshman year into, into, yeah, more of the production track. And I'm kind of a computer nerd too. So that has been fine. <laughs> and helpful in making films. Thank you for for that. We we had that we had to ask because it's mentioned it on your on your on your website. <laughs> well, Emily, we don't want to take up too much of your time, and we whenever we have a guest on, we always try to play a game. And the game that we're going to play with you, we're going to be talking about documentaries and Prince songs. Um, being from Minneapolis, are you a Prince fan? Oh my gosh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes, in fact, I I have my Prince hoodie here um which i wore editing the movie basically every day of lockdown um that i got at paisley park when i did a tour of paisley park with my dad and my sister um and i have my other prince merch which is a notebook that my dad gave me recently with a prince quote 
I like constructive criticism from smart people. That's awesome. Because <laughs> I've been taking a lot of notes from people in the past couple of months. That's a great quote, especially the, the smart people part. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just any kind of criticism. So, so guys, let's get in our game. So like, um, we each choose five documentaries and five print songs and we do a, uh, I'm going to go first. David's going to go second. You as our guest, you're going to go third. And I'm going to start off with my documentary, my first one. And, uh, my first documentary is a documentary that came out in 2014, uh, called the seven five. Uh, it's about police corruption in, uh, Brooklyn. It's the 75th precinct in the eighties and nineties was known as the, the, the most dangerous precinct in New York. And these, it's about these two corrupt cops in in this precinct who oddly enough rob drug dealers and protected drug dealers and and uh, their their rise and fall and I find this uh, this documentary to be wildly entertaining because it's almost kind of like a, a Goodfellas type of thing. That sounds amazing. I don't know that one. I want to see. Yeah, it. check it out. It's called the Seven Five. It's wildly entertaining. And these guys are total scumbags. <laughs> Terrifying. So the Prince song that I have for them is uh, it's a. So the title track from uh, the Prince's third album, which is Dirty Mind. So the 7-5 is the dirty mind of Prince songs. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> All right. It's a nice uh, opening salvo there. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and and do my first one, which is like the theme of it is this is the first this is like an introduction to this person as an artist and it was kind of like a, revel a revelation and the documentary is Enron the smartest guys in the room which is the first Alex Gibney feature length documentary um, about Enron of course and uh, those awful awful me white men um, <laughs> for real yeah but uh, that movie is incredible it's also like it's so entertaining his style is like he he it's very well defined from the very first movie. And it was kind of like a, a sign of things to come. That's why as a Prince song, it's the first track on the first album. I want to be your lover, which is like still one of the best fucking Prince songs ever. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's a great song. I want to be your lover. Enron, smartest guys in the room. Love it. Cool. Well, I love this game just to say like, Great, great idea, guys. Uh, this was really fun for me. I got to listen to Prince for the past couple of days and think about it. Um, but I'm, I'm not a funny person, so I don't know. These aren't going to be like funny, but whatever. I'm just going to do it. George um, is okay. the funny person, so it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So uh, I guess hmm, the first one I'll do is one of my favorite documentaries is called Hands on a Hard Body. Um, I'm not sure when it came out, but it's it's just this lovely film. I should have done that research. It's this lovely film about people who are who are having in a contest to win a car, and they have to be touching the car for as long as possible. And the last person to still be touching the car wins the car. Amazing documentary. Um, and I wanted to say that Hands on a, a Hard Party is very uh, like Little Red Corvette in that you think both of them are going to be about a car, but they're not. That's all I got. <laughs> nice. A plus work right off the bat. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Also, this game is super fun. Like, we came from you. It came from <laughs> from and and like George. We were talking before this, and and we were like, we hope she likes Prince. And it was like, she's from Minneapolis. You have you have to. to. You have to <laughs> like Prince. Like I was talking about <laughs> yeah. it with my boyfriend earlier today. Like, and my relationship to Prince is like, I know a lot of people kind of like 
found out about Prince as they were getting into adolescence and like noticing the sexuality and the songs and stuff. And like, I've been hearing Prince songs from chat from like toddlerhood and like they're part of my DNA and my dad was mm-hmm. a huge fan. So like, I don't know. It's like that part of, of Prince I've only become more aware of in recent years. It's like, it's part of my DNA. It's like, I think of my dad, which I know is kind of messed up the way some people think of Prince, but I mean, like I went, I went to his garage sale with my dad when I was a kid. Like, um, I don't know. Yeah. There's a very special place in every Minneapolis person's heart for Prince. That's great. Uh, all right. So my next doc is from 2019 and is the, the inventor out for blood, uh, is about uh, Elizabeth Holmes and the company Theranos, uh, which was like projected at $700 million. And, uh, it was uh, at one point, I think it was worth a couple billion dollars and it was a total fraud. And, uh, this, this document Alex given you, it's also wildly entertaining. And the Prince song that I have for that is either enough. One of my favorite Prince songs from the Batman soundtrack. <gasps> Scandalous. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that Batman soundtrack and uh that and Elizabeth Holmes are both scandalous. Scandalous. And that brings me to my next one, um, which is kind of meta because it's like uh, comic books and comic book movies and movies about movies. And the documentary is a movie from a few years ago called The Death of Superman Lives, colon, What Happened? I had to write that down so I remembered it. Um, And it's the doc they made about like the Superman movie that never happened that was written by Kevin Smith, supposed to be directed by Tim Burton and starring Nicolas Cage as Superman. Thank you so much for bringing this up. It's one of my favorite tidbits about Nicolas Cage. If you can, if you can look, we'll try and find it and share it on the podcast, um, our Instagram, but there, there are photographs from a costume fitting of Nicolas Cage in the Batman uniform. It's the Superman. It's, it's insane. (laughs) Yeah. And he still has like shoulder length hair and it's like blowing in the wind. It just that still alone is like worth the price of admission. <laughs> I will find it. I am dedicated to this bit. I'm going. Oh my gosh. But it sounds really weird and crazy, but it's probably kind of corny, which is why it probably would have been kind of corny <laughs> still, um, which is why as a Prince song, it's another song also off the Batman soundtrack, which is Trust. Uh, trust, which is a very corny song, but when it happens in the movie, it's terrifying because it's when Jack Nicholson releases like the gas on the people of Gotham <laughs> from the balloon from the weird, crazy balloons. So yeah, trust is uh, the death of Superman lives. What happened? Very nice, Emily. All right, my turn. Um, okay, for my next one, I'm going to do another classic documentary that's one of my favorites um uh gray gardens is about a pretty intense parental relationship and it's also one of my favorite things in the world and another thing that's one of my favorite things in the world is when doves cry which is a song that is also about intense parental relationships fantastic (laughs) oh my god Yeah, Grey Gardens, intense for sure. (laughs) So good. Really holds up too. All right. For my third one is a documentary that released in 2002, I believe. uh, And it's uh, King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters. So good. 
Yeah, that that document is incredible. Uh, and uh, the Billy Mitchell, who was the uh, the arcade guy in 1981, just got the highest score, and it's the relationship that he has with other people. He's just sort of kind of this crazy guy. And um, this is a Prince song that's actually not really known for a Prince song, and that's the reason why I chose it is because of Billy Mitchell. And uh, it is oddly enough uh, known for Sinead O'Connor's version. But Prince recorded this song in 1984, and it was released uh, two years, uh, three years ago in 2018. And Billy Mitchell, King of Kong, Nothing Compares to You is a Prince song that I have for that. <laughs> yeah, the Sinead O'Connor version is also great. Great song. Also Thanks. great. Yeah. But it's it's a different tune when he uh, him singing it, especially that you, they, once you realize that it's from 1984, because their song is from the 90s. You talked about this the other day, about how like there's a bunch of Prince songs that the covers are like, more sometimes more pleasing even though like the original song is great i'm gonna get into that a little bit later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so my next one i this is like my kind of obscure one and it's what i would call an obscure underrated piece from the like mid 2000s which is a decade like i don't even really remember and it was like just 10 years ago um but uh the movie is a movie that is from a filmmaker who's not he's made a bunch of documentaries but he's known more as a narrative filmmaker and that's or was and that's jonathan demi and he made a handful of documentaries and he made one in i think 2004 uh called the agronomist that it's incredible it it's his it's about this guy john john dominique who was an agronomist, someone who studies agriculture, and he was Haitian. And he, he, in addition to, to being this agronomist, he also led the like free radio in Haiti. And he was like the only information source against like the Duvaliers. And he was attacked for it and eventually killed. And he was also, he, part of his life, he lived in exile in New York, which is where he met Jonathan Demi, and they had a relationship and he filmed this film with him over the course of many years, similar to your story with being BB. Um, and he get, became part of the story as well, kind of. And it's just, it's really fucking fascinating. And also Jean Dominique is one of the most compelling people you'll ever see on, on television, on screen. Um, and that's why as a, as a Prince song, I kind of bending a little bit and I picked a song, but it's kind of the whole album. There's like these albums that Prince did in the two thousands that like nobody heard, but are really good. <laughs> and the one, the first one I'm talking about is uh musicology. And my favorite song off that album is the marrying kind, which is a really awesome rocking song. And yeah, that, that album, I, those albums are really good. And it's another, like, it's when I learned that was, you know, I was probably in my late, I was probably in college, I guess. And I bought that on CD being like, Oh, new, new Prince record. And that was the first time I learned that Prince does everything himself for records. He records everything on his own and like what a singular genius he is. Anyway, the marrying kind is the agronomist for Prince songs. I want to see that film. That sounds amazing. It's so good. It's two new ones from my list, the seven, five and the agronomist. <laughs> oh wait is it my turn again yes it is your turn oh crap okay all right um the, 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 okay this is a quickie her name was rgb and she was funky her name was rgb the one and only nice that's it <laughs> yeah, both the person and the song yes one and only 
and a film. It's the most charming film. It's really lovely. <laughs> All right, for my fourth one, uh, I, my last two choices happen to be two of my favorite dogs and just happen to be two of my favorite Prince songs. If not my two favorite Prince songs, we'll get into that in just a second. So Dave has already mentioned, and I've already mentioned a little bit, that some of the covers people enjoy more than the original. And But Prince being so prolific, I mean, he wrote Manic Monday for uh, Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles. And this next song, people know it for the, the cover, but I think the original is just as good. The documentary I'm going to compare it to is because it's a... Uh, it's, it's a little bit about cocaine. I don't know this song isn't about cocaine, but I, th- this is the connection I'm going to make to it. Because the document I'm talking about is called Cocaine Cowboys from 2006. It's about the illegal drug trade in Miami uh, from the 70s and 80s. In essence, like that drug, drug trade actually funded the city. And now it's like a different looking city than what it once was. Because anybody who knows anything about South Florida, it was this redneck as Alabama until about the 70s and the, the the drug trafficking that happened. And Scarface is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So Cocaine Cowboys is the, the documentary from 2006. Billy Corbin, please check that out if you've never seen it. And the Prince song that I'm going to compare it to, because cocaine, you send to lose a little feeling. So the Prince song that I'm going to compare it to is I Feel For You. So Cocaine Cowboys is the I Feel For You of Prince songs. Uh, the cover is uh, probably more well-known, the Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, <laughs> Khan. Um, but uh, Prince recorded that song, and I feel for you is the uh, Cocaine Cowboys of, of Prince songs. Dave, you uh, you brought it, you brought it around. You got, you got there. Ah, uh, you know you I tried. <laughs> um, all right, my next one is uh, both a documentary and a song that are probably some of my favorite pieces of art produced in uh, any time period. The documentaries from you know, the last uh, five or 10 years, I don't remember exactly when, but it's Man on Wire. Um, Man on Wire about Philly Pitsy who who uh, walked on a wire across the, the trade center, the trade towers and among other uh, insane places. I don't know what other word to use, um, but uh, yeah, the it's super thrilling and exciting. It's also like really well-produced documentary. It's done like almost like a heist movie. Uh, super entertaining, but also like, I would never want, like, I, I, I never need to know what that feels like. Um, I can watch the documentaries <laughs> fine. Um, and that's why as a song, it's little red Corvette, the aforementioned, uh, little red Corvette, super fun, exciting, but baby, you're much too fast. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. too fast for me. Yeah. I, I love that doc. It introduced me to the song Albatross by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> uh, and anybody's never Albatross is such an incredible tune. But every time I hear that song, I saw I think about is uh is that 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 scene in the movie where he's walking across. I forget where he's at in, in France, but anyway, Albatross, check that out. Fleetwood Mac, great tune. Love it. It's Fleetwood Mac plug. That's great. Yeah, it's before Lindsay Buckingham and Stephen Nicks from the band. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a Peter Green tune, uh, and uh, it's featured in the movie. And I remember watching the movie in the theater, going, "What the hell is this song? Yeah. It's wow. instrumental. It's like the bluesy rocking stuff." Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's the tune is bonkers, but it's in, it's in the movie. Very cool. Emily, what's your fourth one? What's my fourth one? Um, okay, so got a few here. One of them was about nothing compares to you, but you already did that. I was gonna just do like. <laughs> Nothing compares to you and Fire Festival. Uh, the two documentaries about Fire Festival and the two versions of Nothing Compares to You. Like there's two of the same thing, but they're both like pretty good and worth your time. So 
yeah, I'm going to do that one, I guess. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, we do repeats. We've so. done I, two I love repeats. the fact that you've got like, uh, you've got, it was like, oh, I could do this. I can do this. We love when guests do their research. So. Thank <laughs> you. And when they don't is also great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to have this to think about for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here at the Know Your Rose podcast, for my last one, I always try to stick the landing. So, I'm going to talk about my favorite documentary, one of my favorite things to watch. And my birthday is next week. And I usually watch <gasps> some of it on my birthday. Happy my birthday, birthday is June 17th. Oh, thank you. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, June 17th is a very significant day for a lot of people because it is the day of the OJ Simpson Ford Bronco chase. And every year of my birthday since 1994, I make sure to watch that compelling television. And a documentary I'm going to talk about is literally something I put on just in the background when I'm just like hanging out. And as OJ made in America, all seven and a half hours of it, Ezra Edelman, who won the Oscar for this film, um, I'm not going to plug this. It's like, this movie is incredible. <laughs> seven hours. I just throw, seriously, I just throw it on the background. And it being my birthday coming up, June 17th, Ford Bronco Chase, I'm going to talk about my favorite Prince song, seeing that that's my favorite thing to watch. And my favorite Prince song is I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man. I love that song so much. <laughs> it's so good. It's got so many levels. It's six minutes long. The last minute is just instrumental. Anyway, so I can never take the place of your man is the OJ Made in America of documentaries. Dave. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like in the first like uh, meet five minutes with George. What you learn about him is that he was born. He's uh, his birthday is the day of the Bronco. For Bronco Chase. <laughs> Yeah, every uh, day of my birthday I was like happy birthday to me and happy anniversary of the Fort Bronco Chase. Also, <laughs> you're the only person in the world who like puts that documentary on in the background to hang out. Just to hang like, out. Just love it so much. <laughs> um, all right. So my last one is going to be short and sweet. I uh, am going with things that I think are the best in their category, which uh, the documentary is one of my favorite movies ever. Um Best in their category, but long as shit, <laughs> um, which is Hoop Dreams. Oh. Hoop Dreams is like one of the best movies ever and one of the greatest sports documentaries ever. Um, but uh, it's long as shit. It's uh, almost three hours long. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a commitment, but it's great. And that's why as a Prince song, it's Purple Rain. Purple Rain, which is the best ballad ever, maybe. Yep. Um, but also very long. It's very long. It's the only song that's ever won a Super Bowl, I feel. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so good. Very good. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> okay, man, I don't want to have to wrap this up. This has been so fun. It's going to be un like, there's no like, hmm, I can't top those. Those are really good. But I'll just, I'll do only this one. Um, so Grizzly Man, Werner Herzog, great film. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, what would Grizzly Man say to the Grizzly that has to do with the Prince song? And um, why you want to treat me so bad came up. Speechless. I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song too. That song is so good. <laughs> it is good. It's not like a classic the way some of the others are, but it's a deep cut. It's a good one. Well, because it's on an album with so many hits, but like it's it's oh, right yeah. in there. Um yeah, and Timothy Treadwell, all he wanted to do was was be be one with the Bears. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they didn't want it back all the time. <laughs> no, well, well, he wasn't a bear, sadly. He was a human being. So, 
Anyway. <laughs> Emily, this has been wildly entertaining. I'm so glad I got to see you. But before we let you go, um, uh, tell us where we can see the film and how our listeners can check out your movie and all that, all that good stuff. And, and any other projects and yeah. uh, things things you got going on for us to check out? Cool. Well, this is sort of my singular focus still at the moment, um, although I do want to keep making films about artists. So I'm just putting that out there to the universe. This, you know, I'm excited to start my next project. I know there are people in my life who are like, what are you going to do now that you don't have this to fixate on? Um, so that's that's my next thing is to find another project. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, check out this one because we're so, so pleased with it and can't wait to get it in front of people. You can watch it at Tribeca at home um, through Tribeca's website. It's very Googleable. Tribeca Being BB is the name of the film. And yeah, tickets are on sale now for June 19th through 23rd here in the U.S. And after that, we're going to have a festival rollout and hope to have it streaming somewhere before too long. And we're also hoping to really have an impact campaign with this film where we can bring the film to um, different communities that could uh, could benefit from seeing such an uplifting story that really models such beautiful family acceptance, you know, in different parts of the world where there might not be so much LGBTQ acceptance. So we're talking to different organizations in Africa and other places where we could hopefully bring the film and just, you know, spread baby's story. Well, again, congratulations on the film. Uh, I think all of us really, really felt it and 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 loved it a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, continued success in, in the festival circuit, hopefully, for you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, guys. Oh, we're also closing night at, Tri- at Provincetown. I forgot to mention that. We're going to have our in-person premiere as the closing night of the Provincetown International Film Festival. Awesome. So we'll get to see it in a real movie theater in a couple of weeks. That's very exciting. That is. Yeah. Producer Mary Beth, do you have anything for Emily? Uh, well, just want to say again, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your film with us and your work and your time. Um, yeah, we all thought it was absolutely wonderful. And we really loved your approach. And I love that you want to do impact. Um, sorry, you said impact campaigns um, around the world, especially having seen the film and fully acknowledging how incredibly difficult life can be um, for folks who are just wanting to be themselves. Being BB, like being yourself, living your truth and loving openly and honestly um, is something that I think we take for granted sometimes. And so I love that being BB spoke to this so, so wholeheartedly and in such a lovely way. So thank you for your work. Thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you very best. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate you taking the time to watch it. And to interview me. This was so fun. <laughs> thank, thank you. We Pleasure is all ours. <laughs> Definitely. What a treat. Good to see you, my friend. And you. <laughs> Have a lovely week. Thank you, you too. Bye. All right. Thank you again to Emily Branham. That was so much fun. Check her website out at emilyb.tv and her Instagram at emilybtv and beingbbmovie.com. And definitely check for that when it's uh, when it's released and, and uh, how you can see that really great film. All right, we're going to go ahead and move into Last Call, where we talk about things we're looking forward to and what's uh, coming up on the horizon. George, what do you got? I, of course, am looking forward to the NBA playoffs, uh, in particular, like uh, my favorite series that is happening right now, which is the Clippers series. It's like I know the Clippers are playing, but I think it's the Clippers series because I want to see an implosion of the Clippers, and that's <laughs> the only thing I'm looking forward to, so... <laughs> um that's funny because i feel like like you want to see the implosion 
of the Clippers, like they've already imploded. They've been imploding for a year. I want to see them come back and actually prove people wrong and like actually win. It's usually, because... I'm, I'm usually the positive one. You're usually the <laughs> negative one. This is a, this is a role reversal over here. We switch bodies, switch departments. I, <laughs> I was putting, considering putting a bet on the Clippers because I was like, nobody's talking about the Clippers and they still have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard who can dominate at the end of the games and lock down defensively. Well, I mean, they lost game one. So uh, the, that Donovan Mitchell kind of kind of played out of his mind, but whatever. Totally. And I think, well, I think the Jazz are the best team. I think they're the best team left, honestly. Sure. You know, that being said, like the best team doesn't always win. So, you know, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it too. Just, uh, just out of curiosity, who, who, who are you? Who do you? Th- who are you feeling? Who do you think is going to go all the way? Uh, I feel it's going to be Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. The young upstart. Yeah, with with the old man short point. He guard. is playing fucking wonderful, and also uh, his post games are <laughs> top notch as always. <laughs> Oh no, he's entertaining. Yeah. He's like, it's like, what do I care? Yeah. He's, he's one of my favorite things to put. It's like, what do yeah, I care? Like, my kids are in private yeah. school. I love that. I love that. What about you? What are you looking forward to? Um, well, they just uh announced the all the summer concert uh lineups, um, going with the theme that I mentioned earlier of of concerts that are happening way in the future. Um, these ones are a little bit a little bit uh closer, but yeah, they released uh, the Celebrate Brooklyn and like the summer stage uh schedule. One that stuck out for me for Celebrate Brooklyn is Trombone Shorty is coming. And I've like missed him a couple of times. So I'm, I I really want to go to that. And then uh, Summer Stage had some funny ones like uh, Ani DeFranco. (laughs) Ani DeFranco's reporting. So uh, we're bringing it back to 98. Yeah, taking it all the way back. She's still she's still doing music. She's still producing. Music. Good for her. It's uh, Sarah McLaughlin going to be there. <laughs> Maybe Liz Fair and yeah, Liz Fair. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, I'm there for it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the whole. What, what was that festival called? Uh, Lilith. The Fair. Lilith Fair. The whole Lilith Fair <laughs> crowd. It's going to be great. <laughs> Lisa Loeb. Yeah. Um, oh man, don't get me started about Lisa Loeb. Ooh. Those guy go commercials. Be still, be still, my beating heart, Lisa Loeb. Shout out. all right well uh the only other thing i'm looking forward to is actually what mary best is going to talk about in her booth which is uh these upcoming elections that we got here in new york city this is the last time we're going to be talking to you all about it so i'm going to go ahead and throw to mary best and mary best's booth thanks so much dave and uh pleasure to be back with you fellas i know we're on a new schedule where we're doing just a couple episodes a month so um you know, we're spending a little less time together. So it's, you know, it hurts. It hurts. But it's okay. It's okay. Because it's always nice to be with you. Um, So as Dave mentioned, uh, especially those folks in the New York area, you probably already know that uh, the New York primary election is coming up. And uh, that is on June 22nd of 2021. It is the the day of in-person voting. And it is also the last day to postmark your mail-in ballot. Again, June 22nd, 2021. Uh, Primary election early voting period is June 12th to June 20th. The absentee ballot request deadline is June 15th. Uh, We're going to throw some resources at you as well. Um, So if you want to go to elections.ny.gov, you can find your polling sites. You can learn about absentee voting and how to approach that. You can also check out vote, 
nyc to learn about ranked choice voting. Also look at polling sites, check your personal information, and you can check the status of your absentee ballot if that is the course you are taking for this particular election. Uh, down the ballot, we've got mayor, comptroller, public advocate, Manhattan DA, city council, borough president, civil court and surrogate court judge, district leader, and judicial delegate. Although we will mention and remind all our listeners that ballots in different boroughs do differ. So we encourage you to seek out a sample ballot online so you can see what races are specific to your area. And a great resource for that is a site called Ballotpedia, B-A-L-L-O-T-P-E-D-I-A dot org where you can enter your address and check out a sample ballot to see exactly what you're going to be looking at come time to cast your votes. So two resources that we love here at Know Your Rolls are Soft Power Vote. And you can find them online at softpower.vote. You can sign up for their newsletter, which has tons of valuable information, not just around election cycles, but year-round. They are a fabulous resource. Um, you can also find them on Instagram at Soft Power Vote. And their link tree is a wonderful resource. If you've ever used that site before, I highly recommend it. You know Your Rolls has one if you're on our Instagram page. And that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Soft Power Vote. And if you go to their link tree, you can find an extensive voter guide for the upcoming elections on the 22nd, which is a fantastic resource to have. Another resource that we love is Generator Collective. You can find them online at generatorcollective.com or on Instagram at Generator Collective. I was just looking at their site today, their Instagram page today, and they have so many different slides and resources from what the mayor does, who the comptroller is and what their responsibilities are to a detailed explanation of ranked choice voting and the best way to approach it. So all of these resources are at your fingertips. If you have access to the internet, we highly encourage you to seek these out. We'll be linking everything in the copy for today's episode. And with that, I'm going to open it to Dave and George. If you have any thoughts about the upcoming elections or anything you want to add. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for all of that, Mary Bess. Um, I want to echo that, uh, all that stuff uh, about all the resources, soft power vote that their guide is so good. Um, It really gives like detailed, uh, like very like short blurbs, but like, there's a lot of information in there. You know, you, everybody should be should be at their own process with it. I have my ballot here, actually, because I I vote. Uh, I'm going to vote early and like drop it off somewhere because I don't believe that voting should be one day uh, and a, a day of the week. It should be a fucking holiday and should be like a week long um, and you should vote however you want. So if you can vote early and show them that. But uh, yeah, the mayor's race is a. Uh, is a cesspool is what I've been calling it. And uh, it sucks that we have ranked choice voting um, in a year where there's like, it's awesome that we have ranked choice voting, but it stinks that like for the mayor specifically, I, I'm probably not going to make five choices uh, myself just because I don't believe in five candidates for sure. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about Diane Morales on this show. And then she showed herself to be 
a fraud. <laughs> so that's a good reminder for myself and everybody uh, that uh, don't put politicians on the pedestal because, yeah, they usually aren't about what they talk about. Uh, you can't be the pro-union candidate and run a pro-union race and then then uh, fire your people for unionizing. Those, those things don't work. I'll throw in there, Dave. I know um, it's something that I saw on social media that I think we're going to share as well. Uh, Whitney Hugh, who was a former um, campaign person um, for Diane Morales, made a really wonderful point, which was, you know, that they were running on the right platform. They were running with so many incredible ideals. They were running um, to really make life better for the people who work the hardest and the people who've been shortchanged and to make resources and security and just general protections for people, not only in their careers, but regarding humanity. Totally. <laughs> um, totally. And, that, and that the platform and the ideals were right, but unfortunately the candidate did not match or did not hold up their end, could not commit to the promise of that platform. And it's unfortunate, but we do encourage everyone to please like check, check out these candidates, like check out these candidates and also please be aware of other races down your ballot because people who hold local office in your community often carry a lot of power with how you work, how you travel and so many other elements of how we live our day-to-day -day lives. You put that so well, because um, I was going to say similar things, which a much heavier hand, um, <laughs> which is uh, uh, that like, you know, these grand elections that uh, that these offices that that supposedly oversee so much like a governor, a mayor or a president to me, like they're not as important to daily life as the people that we elect to our city council and to like, you know, comptroller which we like don't know shit about you know and because like those people actually affect the day-to-day -day life and like the council to your point the the council they decide where the money goes they they vote and they they vote on where the money goes like how we spend our taxpayer money and you know especially in the last year we've seen so much uh good stuff come out of the council and so many great campaigns uh for you know the the open council seats which are all of them um so we really have like a great opportunity. You know, that's why I kind of started talking about the mayor's race as it's disappointing. It's very disappointing, especially like as Morales, as you said, as Whitney put it, um, it was the, the correct platform, a great platform and just the candidate that didn't uh, didn't actually practice practice that, <laughs> uh, you know. And so that being said, you have to have the cognitive this. You have to like be able to separate and be like, OK, it's. All right. So that's that, you know, cause like I didn't have any, I spent a bunch of time boosting her. And then when I found that out, I was like, Oh, she's full of shit too. Great. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's the like politician was politician. <laughs> I know. Shocker. Well, it's like, but like, I think the impetus was right because like she, I, you know, was looking at her as somebody who came from the public sector, you know, um, as far as like, a non nonprofit and like not not in the government and not like in business, you know. Um, that that being said, the the council races are are really important. I think there's a lot of great candidates. Uh, we really like 
our district, uh, we 39, we have a lot of great choices. We really love Shahana Hanif, who Hillary actually knew in high school, which is awesome. And oh, like, whoa. Yeah. From Shout the, out to Hillary. Totally. <laughs> Shout out to Shahana Hanif, too. She's like from this community, part of like the Bangladeshi community in, in uh, Kensington and has been like, she used to work for our previous council, Brad Lander, who is actually running for comptroller. Um, and I think a fairly good candidate. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of lot of exciting stuff, a lot of opportunity for change, which I think we can all agree. We want change. And the, to close this out, the only thing last thing I'll say is I don't think anyone should tell anyone like who to vote for or like what to do. The only thing I'll say after saying that as a caveat is please don't vote for Yanger Adams. Please don't vote for Yanger Adams. Don't put them on your fucking ballot. They're bad for the city. Okay, I'm done. Um, George, any, anything you want to add? Are you, have you have given thoughts? Do you know who's your council person? Let me ask you that. Uh, I look at everything through the lens of sports and I don't get into it until the season is at the very end. So we'll have this conversation when we get close. It's, I have my ballot. It's close. Yeah, yeah. It's close, George. Yeah, no, I, I need, I need to, I need to know like when it, when the, when the, the major, when the major players are, are getting involved, it's like, I can't, I can't watch, I can't watch game two. I need game 15. George needs to host like a, a full on dodgeball tournament with all the candidates. Pretty much. Yeah. Which is last like pretty much weeding out the, uh, the, 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 the group that's not that interesting. So yeah, it worked. It works in our know your roles, uh, balance, uh, that we, that we have here because, uh, I'm already looking into candidates for the next election. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> so yeah, a balance yeah. of overdoing it and underdoing it. Um, <laughs> all right. That uh, I think that'll do it for uh, last call. And we're going to go ahead and round out this show. George, why don't you give the people something to be excited about? What do we got going on on our next show? Who's coming up? Uh, our next show is going to be June 25th. And we have bassoonist teacher badass Rebecca with a K. I love that spelling of Rebecca, by the way. Shout out to her. Uh, Rebecca Heller. That's who's going to be our, our next guest on June 25th. And uh, we're super excited about having her. Dave. Yeah, totally. Um, Rebecca is a friend of mine. That's going to be super fun. All right. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Best. Thank you to Amanda Zeller. Thank you to Alan Kid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo for the Know Your Roles theme. Please rate and review. Subscribe to Know Your Roles wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, please take care and be safe. And as usual, I'm going to be updating it at some point. But for right now, please wear your mask over your fucking nose. You know the road, all the rough stuff.